Hi, I'm Phil Towns. I'm Danielle Town. And we're talking about money, investing, rule one, style. Feeling good about what you're doing, trying on earth to figure out what to do. Trying to figure out what to do and try to do it like, if you're going to do investing, why not do it like the best investors in the world? You know, Charlie Munger, well, Warren Buffett. everyone wants to do that. I know, but it's not that easy it's, because these guys no. obscure how to do it in terse, tight, packed little phrases that they think are simple and easy to understand. And I'm going to give you an example of that, which if you've been listening to our podcast, you've heard this example over and over as we unpack and it. And yet somehow I'm not tired of it. So I hope that everyone isn't tired of it. Because I'm not I just, tired of I it. I find it so, it makes me laugh every single time. It's just so like joyful in its simplicity. And yet it's packed like the atom. <laughs> so let's let's hear Charlie. Come on, one more so time into the breach. Charlie Munger, on the BBC. Charlie Munger is an investor. For those of you who have not been listening, and um, he did an interview on the BBC that we've been playing just a section from. And in this section, he gives the four principles of investing very quickly. Oh, oh, and before you start it, Charlie is. Warren Buffett's partner at Berkshire Hathaway, and together form the most mighty duo of investors in the history of the planet. Charlie's compounded money at over 20% per year for now about 60 years. Um, he's a brilliant investor, and at the point of time when he's given this interview, he's 92-ish. And he, sharp he as it us? gets. He's still with he's us, right? definitely still with okay. us. All right, rock on. We have to deal in things that we're capable of understanding. And then, once we're over that filter, we have to have a business with some intrinsic characteristics that give it a durable competitive advantage. And then, of course, we would vastly prefer a management in place with a lot of integrity and talent. And finally, no matter how wonderful it is, it's not worth an infinite price. So we have to have a price that makes sense and gives a margin of safety considering the natural vicissitudes of life. That's a very simple set of ideas. And the reason that our ideas have not spread faster is they're too simple. The professional classes can't justify their existence if that's all they have to say. I mean, it's also obvious and so simple. What would they have to do with the rest of the semester? Well, we can tell you what they could do the rest of the semester is try to explain what you just said, Charlie. Well, we just need a price that makes sense. Yep. We need there a price that makes sense. Let's go home. We, we just need, you know, to be capable of understanding. We just need that this thing has intrinsic characteristics of a certain type. We just need management to have integrity and talent. And we can't pay an infinite price. So I love this little key line. Let me unpack this one. No matter how wonderful the business is, we can't pay an infinite price. In other words, those first three things are about wonderfulness. And mm. the reason Charlie said that, to put that in context, is that his buddy and partner, Warren, was asked once about whether you can be certain, you know, how much risk is there investing in the stock market? And Buffett said, if you buy a wonderful business when it's on sale, Actually, what he said was, if you buy a wonderful business at a fair price, you are certain to make money. You just don't know when. Hmm. Now, that's an incredible statement, considering that 
virtually the entire financial services industry has come to the conclusion that investing in stocks is risky and that it should be only for people who can take risk of losing that money. Those people should invest in, could invest in the stock market. But if you have to be certain you're going to have your money down the road, then investing in the stock market is very risky and could potentially result in you losing your money. And here's Buffett going, I do it only when I'm certain I'm going to make money. Man, that's such a huge difference, categorically. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking that out. That's a tough one. Certainty? To say certainty if a financial, when it comes to the stock market. If a financial advisor who has a Series 65 license and was licensed to advise you from a registered investment advisor were to say that, they would lose their license. Yeah, absolutely. That's how strongly the SEC feels about uh, the risk that you actually take when you put your money in a stock. Yeah. And by the way, if a financial advisor were to advise you to put your money into like five stocks, all of your money into five stocks, they'd probably get accused of malpractice by the SEC or FINRA. So the, there's a rather strong paradigm out there that says that what Warren Buffett just said right there is not only not true, but it's an absolute damnable lie that could get most people in deep trouble. Well, I think that's because a lot of people want to believe that and would act on it and then would lose a lot of money. People who maybe didn't understand right. what they were doing. Right. Right. I think that's true. I think the SEC is performing a, an actual real service there, a watchdog service, to try to put the bar up a bit so that your average guy doesn't just go out there and think what Warren Buffett's doing is a no-brainer. Even though Warren's partner, Charlie, is busy saying, this is so simple that what would professors do all semester if they were to tell you how simple investing really is? So where's reality there, right? I mean, Charlie's saying it really is that simple. And if it's that simple, an ordinary person should be able to understand it if, if you couldn't even go on about it for a semester. So, yeah. So, I mean, you you're, I, I'm, I'm thinking back, you know, the last hundred years of the market. Maybe it is true that if you really held your money for an infinite amount of time, you know, conceivably, let's say you hold it for 60 years, you probably could find a point at which your money would be worth more than you originally Oh, oh way shorter period than that, actually. Well, all right. Sure. In other words, looking at the long period of the market, if you just... You're talking I mean, about assuming you've got five specific companies. Oh, 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 that's different. I just thought you were just talking about the market as a whole, like putting no, your money I'm, into I'm an index. debating if he's correct in what he said. All right, well, first thing, the market as an index would have given you, I think, worst case, there's about 25 years where if you put your money in the market and waited 25 years, you finally got your money back after a 25-year period. I think that was 1929 and 1955, I think was the longest stretch where if you put your money right at the very tippy top of the market, you loaded it up and then just sat there for the next 25 years, you'd finally have gotten your money back in 1955. Now, most financial advisors would not actually admit that that's what's happened. They like to talk about there's never been more than eight years. I've been on TV with these guys and they're just like so brainwashed that there's never been a time of any huge length of time where 
um, the market didn't give you a good return after you know eight years or some crazy thing like that. And so you don't have to really worry about long periods of time. Well, that was an absolute crock. I mean, from 19, gee, I think 1900 until 1920, the stock market went, or 1905 to 1920, the stock market went absolutely sideways. The rate of return was zero in the market. 1929 to 1955, you would have had a zero. 1965 to 1983, you would have had a zero. The stock market went nowhere all that period of time. Um, obviously, 2000 to 2010, you would have had a zero. So there's big long periods of time, and, and the truth of the matter is, investing a um, significant amount of money in an index fund, you better be ready for a very significant amount of time to go by and not need that money. Because right. it could and, be. F- and it might be that the time when you're supposed to retire happens to be one of the downturns. Exactly. That's the scary part. That's the scary part. For a lot, and a lot of money's on the sidelines right now in the market. Uh, and not in the market because people are coming into retirement, the baby boom generation, and the last thing they want is to put their money in, like many of them did, you know, right at, in 2000, and then it drops, or right in 2007, and then it drops. They become wary of, of this whole generation of putting the money into the market at just the wrong time, almost as if, you know, if I put my money in here, it's going to go down like a brick the moment I do. There's a lot of emotional feeling out, uh, about that out there. And as a result, people aren't, are not participating in the market's moves up because they're afraid of it. Okay? Now, that's the, that's the overall market itself. What Warren Buffett is saying is that I don't care about that. What I care about is that if I know this is a wonderful business, and I know that I can buy it at a really fair price, I don't need a stock market. I don't need somebody out there to tell me what this business is worth and what it's worth every day or every minute. You know, that's a way to go crazy. What I need is just a wonderful business that's available on sale because then I know I'm gonna make money. And how's he gonna make money? Well, the first way is he's gonna, the business cash flow is gonna pay off his original investment. He's going to get his money off the table. And then that business cash flow will continue for many, many years into the future. An example uh, of a company that Warren bought like that is Seize Candy, which doesn't grow. They raise the price according to roughly whatever Warren wants to raise the price at every year, you know, maybe 3 or 4% a year with inflation. And the business just goes on like that river touring company does. It just goes on and on and on. And it paid itself off many, many years ago. And now it's just throwing cash off that Buffett then reinvests. That's the key to great investing. That's what so we, we really want to do. So we want to emulate that in we the public markets. Absolutely. We want to emulate that in the public markets. Now, an example of that in the public markets for Buffett would be Coca-Cola, which he bought when it was relatively inexpensive in a recession. And... Now the company has moved up in its, its overall market price, which is great. But he's not thinking of selling it, so he doesn't care what the market price is. All he cares about is that this company produces a dividend uh, that he gets in cash, which he can then reinvest, and it also buys back its own stock, which means every year his ownership position goes up without having to do anything. Without doing anything. Yeah. And so over a long period of time, Warren now probably receives... On an annual basis, he probably gets 30, 40% per year of his original investment 
in dividends every year. And every year that goes up about 10%. So, I mean, it's this wonderful bond that just pays and pays and pays and pays and pays. So that's why, that, that's what makes buying an individual company at a really great margin of safety price such an intriguing uh, and exciting idea, particularly for people who are afraid of the market. It's, it's, the, it's the solution to the market fear that the market's going to drop, is you get into a company at such a great price and it's throwing off cash to you in such a great way, you're never going to care what the market price is going to be the rest of your life. So we were talking last time about how to figure out what that price is. Yeah. There's the rub. Ooh. <laughs> how do you know? So, again, just not to beat a dead horse, but I want you to get it. First, you have to be capable of understanding the business. Then you have to know it has certain intrinsic characteristics which give it a moat. And then it'd be great to have a great management team that's honest and talented. Great. But that moat thing is critical. And you're not going to know it unless you understand the business. So we come back to the moat. What's the durable competitive advantage? And if that's going to last for a long time, then I can figure out the value of this business based on that cash flow. So let's figure out the value of a business based on cash flow. And let's say that a business is producing a million dollars a year. We'll go back to our river touring company. It's producing a million dollars a year in cash flow coming in. Earnings and cash flow, let's say, in this case, are exactly the same. So I've got the cash flow coming in, and it's going to grow at, oh, 10% a year forever. Let's say every year they let me raise the prices by 10% in the National Park Service. With me so far? Yeah, we're talking about a private company again. Why no, are we talking no, this company's public. This is a public company. Okay, oh, this is XYZ. You changed it on me. Sorry, this is XYZ public company. They happen to run river tours in the Grand Canyon, and they make a million dollars a year after tax, and it's growing at 10% a year. Got it. With me? Yes. All right, cool. Now, let's figure out what this thing is worth as a public company. First off, um, I'm going to do this a little differently than I did the private company thing. I'm going to say that I am going to figure out what this should be worth in about 10 years. I've got a million dollars a year coming in, so if we were doing this on TV, so what we did before was we talked about how many years it would take to get your money back. Right. And now you're talking about a different number. Yep. This is going to be what I call the sticker price. The reason I the sticker price, you know, is on the window of the car at the new car lot. Sure. That's the sticker price. And the reason I call this sticker price is because I want to remind myself never pay sticker. Okay. But first we got to figure out what the sticker price is. So our public company is making a million dollars a year and it's growing it at 10%. That means in seven years, it's going to be at $2 million a year. Right? Mm -hmm. By the rule of 72. If it's growing at 10%, I divide that into 72, I get 7. So you can run that on an Excel spreadsheet, but it's accurate. In seven years, it will have doubled 1 million to 2 million. Now, we want to look at it in 10 years. That means another three years at 10%, or another half double. So since it's at two million, the other half double would be another million. So now we're at three million dollars earnings in the tenth year. Okay, that three million dollars of earnings will continue to grow into the future, growing, growing, growing as it has the last 20, 30 years. It's going to continue growing at about 10 percent a year. Now we're taking out the bumps, the highs and the lows, basically just looking at this thing on average 10 percent per year forever. That's just the nature of this kind of business. 
Now we have $3 million that we're receiving in earnings. We expect to be receiving in earnings in the year 2025. And we have to figure out what we'd be willing to sell that for in the year 2025 if we're a public company. And the answer is, if it's growing at 10% a year and it's rock solid, and if the market is good, we would sell that for $60 million. Explain. Yes. What I've just done there is apply a multiple called a P-E ratio, which we've talked about. We talked about that. On the $3 million. So all public businesses sell for some multiple of their earnings. And the question is just, how do you figure out what the multiple will be? And the answer is, in a bull market, a good stock market, not a terrible one with catastrophe everywhere, but a good one, which is when we'll sell this, by definition, we're only selling when there's greed in the market. So by definition, we'll sell this in a good market, and we're hoping there'll be a good one in 10 years. So that's kind of the little mindset I get. By definition, a company that's public, that's growing at 10% a year, should have a P ratio of 20. All right, now why do Where we know does, that? Yeah. Because the average company grows at about 7% a year and has an average P E ratio over the last 140 years of 15. Got it. Ta-da! It's just the real world prices them like that. Mm -hmm. And we can go back to why based on how long it takes to get my money back and all that stuff, but that's basically real world pricing. So we got a 20 PE. That means the earnings of the company at 3 million times 20 give us the price, which is 60 million. 20 times three is 60 million. There we go. That's by the way, the extent of the math that we really have to use. So not real math heavy here and figuring out these values. 60 million bucks. Okay, so now we know roughly what we'll sell it for. What would we pay for it today if we're going to sell it for $60 million in 10 years? All right. With me still? Of course. Okay. So I want to sell it for $60 million in 10 years. Well, what would be a reasonable amount of money to make per year, a reasonable percentage to make per year if I'm... Uh, if I'm a reasonable investor, I want a reasonably good rate of return. In other words, a price that makes sense, according to Charlie. Yeah, that's what we need. What would we, what would a, we need what a, would, well, we need a price that makes sense plus margin of safety, right? Yep, but first but let's first find the price. First we're going to do the price, okay. Yeah. So a price that makes sense to me on my money, which I've worked hard to earn and, and would understand that there's risk out there and I could make a mistake and there could be vicissitudes. I always want to put another S in there. <laughs> vicissitudes. But I want to I want to make and here's here's just where I come down on this. I want to make 15% a year. That's what I call my minimum acceptable rate of return. MAR, M A R R. My minimum acceptable rate of return is 15% a year. Okay. So a price that makes sense to me, what I would consider a fair price for this business, would be one that I would pay today and make 15% a year on it, year after year, and end up, um, and, and, that, and, that, and I would end up selling it for 60 million. Excuse me, I'm saying this wrong. I would pay a certain price for it today, and I would sell it in 10 years for 60 million, and when I do, that would represent 15% a year on whatever I paid for it today. Wasn't the $60 million based on 10% a year? 
No, 10% a year is the growth rate of the company. Okay. This is different entirely. This is the growth rate of the company, which is a business out there growing at 10% a year. What I'm talking about is, how much money do I want to make on my money? I want my money working at 15% a year. That's what I want. Now, I could put my money in a bank account. It would make 0.2% per year, which doesn't work for me. I could put it in a treasury bill, and I'd get 1% a year. I could put it in a 10-year treasury bond, and I would get 2% a year. It doesn't work for me. I could put it in a 30-year treasury bond, and I could get 3% a year. It doesn't work for me. How can you make 15% a year from a company that's growing at a rate of 10% a year? By buying it on sale. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Watch the math and learn. This is going to be awesome. You ready? So now I know that if I buy this for a certain number that re represents 15% a year compounded over the next 10 years and sell it for 60 million, I'm going to make that 15%. So let's do the math on that. It turns out that So basically you, the price that you're going to hopefully pay on the market will be cheaper than what the company is actually producing. Is that correct? Um, I'm not sure that's correct. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pay a fair price. I'm going to pay a price that makes sense relative to what the company's producing. The company's producing 10% a year growth rate, it's producing a million a year cash, and it's growing at 10%. I'm going to find a price that makes sense relative to that fact. That's what I'm doing. Let me just do one. Maybe it'll get clearer. Um, to do the math here, we need to know something about compounded annual growth rates. We talked about the rule of 72, which gives you compounded annual growth rates by dividing into it the number of years it takes to double your money once. Well, you can also divide in the percentage compounded annual growth rate that you want to get, and it'll tell you how long it takes to double once. So in this case, I want 15% per year annual growth of my money. That's a compounded annual growth rate. So I'm going to divide that into 72, and I'm going to come up with 5 as the number of years it takes to double once. Now, if I'm looking at a 10-year time period for this company to go from current earnings today to $3 million in earnings, I'm going to sell it for a 20 PE, and I'm going to collect $60 million. I'm looking at 10 years out for that to happen, which is two five-year periods. Okay. Two five-year periods means whatever I pay today, like, let's say I started with a dollar, five years from now, I would have two dollars. And ten years from now, I would have doubled it again to four dollars. So now I can see that I've got a relationship between the amount of money I'll have in four years at 15% a year, doubling twice, the amount of money I'll have in ten years if I start with a certain amount of money today. In fact, if I start with a dollar today and I double it twice at 15% a year, I'll have $4. Yes. Good. Now, that means I can divide whatever I'm going to have in 10 years by 4, and I will get how much I should pay for it to get 15% a year. Mm -hmm. How cool is that? So now I can divide the $60 million by 4, and I get $15 million. That means if I pay $15 million for this company right now and 
in 10 years I sell it for 60 million, I will have compounded my $15 million at 15% a year. I will have hit my target. That's a sensible price for this company. 15 million is a sensible price for this company. Based on the 10% growth rate, based on getting to that value of 60 million in 10 years, I would be willing, as a, as a regular investor, I would be willing to say that that company is worth $15 million today. That's a fair price. Okay. Okay. So there we go. That's how we got to it. Now, that's a price that makes sense, but I need a margin of safety. Because I could be wrong about this 10% growth rate. There's things I could be wrong about it. So I there want... There were a lot of steps in that calculation. Yeah. Is there somewhere people can go to follow those calculations? Yeah. You can get over to our website, rule1investing.com. That's where we do those calculations over on the valuation page. You can just register and go over and use it and check it out. And that shows each step? Shows each step. Okay, yeah. good. Shows each step of the way and calculates it for you. Now, this is the simple that Charlie was talking about. This is simple. These are really simple ideas. But I understand that for a lot of people and a lot of our listeners right now are a little bit glazing over when this hits you the first time. So this may be a podcast you have to listen to for a couple of times to really let it sink in. I don't yeah, know. and we may, we'll probably talk about it you know, several times. Yeah, we will definitely go into this more. But let me continue where we would end up with this whole deal. So first off, we've taken a minimum acceptable rate of return, and we've taken um, the value of the business at $60 million, and we've come up with a value today of $15 million. Awesome. That's what we call sticker price. That's what's probably the retail value of the business, the intrinsic value of the business, the what's it's worth number. If you asked, what's my business worth? Somebody's going to come back and tell you, ballpark 15 million bucks today, based on what you've told me about your growth rate and the amount you're earning. Okay, about 15 million today. So if the market was being reasonable about this, it would sell this thing all day long at $15 million uh, today. But I don't want to buy it at a reasonable market. I want to buy it when it's on sale. If it's not on sale at $15 million, that's just a regular good sticker price. On sale to me and Charlie and Warren and all these guys means about 50% off of that would be about right. So I want to pay something like seven to eight million dollars for that business. Is that the private business rate? That's the private business rate. Yeah. That's a really that's that's think about this. We said that if you're making a million dollars a year as a private business, you would sell for somewhere between five and twelve times those earnings. Depending on your growth, depending on how secure it was. And you can see here that I've come in with seven to eight million on that million dollars of earnings. Mm -hmm. So I'm right there in that seven to eight million dollar range. Exactly. Whoa, is that cool or what? <laughs> so that really worked out rather nicely, didn't it? So now we can see that I'm getting this at a private equity price, which is a really good price, but it's a public company. So why in the world would a public company sell themselves to me for a private equity price. Why would that ever happen? Why would these fund managers who own this company ever unload it at such a cheap price if it's obviously worth $15 million? Why would they do that? 
that is going to be the subject of another discussion. And we've already kind of gone into that a little bit in terms of fear and greed and so on. But clearly something's got to happen and we're going to dive into what that something is. It has a name. We're going to get onto it and make sure that we're out there looking for companies where that one thing is going on that puts this thing on sale. It's very specific and it must be there for you to know you're getting a deal. So we're going to go into that down the road here in a little bit. For right now, the main thing I want you to get is that there's a very rational process here involving the earnings of the business, the growth rate of the business, the value of the business in 10 years where we're going to sell it, and what we need to have as a reasonable price. And then we're going to go for a margin of safety on that reasonable price. That's what we just went through. Yeah, we went through that very quickly. <laughs> Want to do it again? No. <laughs> Want to stop and rewind? No, I, but seriously, I think there, you, it, it's something that's easy for you to go through quickly, and I think that we should what? talk about it much more. Char Charlie said it's simple. Right. It's simple. See how simple this is, you guys? Nothing to it. So you, this is why we chuckle every time we listen to Charlie talk about how simple it is. What would you talk about the rest of the semester? Indeed. Well, you would talk about this. How exactly do you figure out that this is a wonderful business? And how exactly do you figure out what the value is or the sticker price is? And then what your margin of safety should be? That's going to be the subject of several more of our discussions, I'm quite sure. Well, I think that's the crux of everything. I think you just said it. Yeah. And that uncertainty that comes with those numbers and knowing whether or not it has an adequate, durable, competitive, competitive advantage, those are the things that create the fear. And you don't really know if you have enough information and if the numbers are right. And I am promising you right now, I'm going to show you a way where you can know, you, I'm, I'm going to put in a little, you know, a little phrase, you can know you almost for sure have enough information. Okay, far above what your current level of skill set is in terms of investing. Let's assume that you don't have any skill set of investing. You don't do investing. You don't know anybody that does investing like this for sure. Um, how would you know? How would you get comfortable that the work that you had done had actually given you the real, a really wonderful company with a real sticker price, and you know it's on sale? How would you know that? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, go through that too, definitely. We'll talk about that, but not this time. <laughs> <laughs> this time, we're done, and it's time to go play. All right. Thanks for listening to Invested, the Rule One podcast. If you like us, please subscribe and leave a review for us on iTunes. You can get our notes and links for this podcast and post comments about this show and get more information about how to invest on your own by going to ruleonepodcast.com. Everything we've discussed in this podcast is either Danielle's opinion or my opinion and is not to be taken as investment advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you've enjoyed it. So until next week, it's time to go play. See ya.